We are in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 11 through the end of the chapter. We'll go ahead and get started. I'm going to read verses 11 through 16. But refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Therefore, I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and do not let the church be burdened, that it may relieve those who are really widows. Uh, as we began chapter 5, we were talking about, you know, how do you treat the people in the church? Paul's talking to Timothy, and Timothy's a young pastor. And so he needs all the wisdom and help and knowledge that he can give. And last week, week, we talked about how do you treat the older men and the older women. Uh, and then Paul began to give some advice to Timothy about how to treat widows. Continue in that. And first, he talked about the older widows and how we're supposed to treat them and care for them and to financially help them. That is something that Paul told Timothy that uh, we need to do or that that church needs to do. And we're taking an example from that uh, to help the older widows. Uh, and now he's talking about the younger widows. Last week we talked about those who were under 60 is kind of where we started that. So if a widow was under 60, Paul was saying you probably don't need to include her in the financial support because she may be able to marry or may be able to work to help support herself. And again, Paul's philosophy is, and you see it throughout <clears throat> this whole chapter, is that if you don't have to burden the church to financially support someone, then uh, that, that is good and that family is the first you know, response. Wouldn't it be awesome if we just all took care of our families? Then the, the church would be able to do even greater things. So as we uh, look at this, Paul's saying it's going to be a good idea to not uh, or to refuse to support the younger widows specifically. Last week we dealt with uh, the older widows. He's saying if they're younger, they probably don't need to be put on uh, the support role for the local congregation to help take care of uh, because they can provide for themselves and could remarry. That's one of them. They could provide for themselves and possibly remarry. And then the other thing that he's saying about younger widows is that they may have such a desire to get married they may not conduct themselves in a godly way uh, because they're so desirous to have a relationship uh, or to have a 
And there's nothing wrong with that. Paul's not saying there's anything wrong with that. He's just simply saying, you know, kind of hold off on supporting those younger widows because it's very likely that their desire to be married will cause them to get married. And also uh, that they may be so desirous to get married that they won't conduct themselves well. So you don't want to be supporting someone who isn't living correctly either. And he gives examples. He's saying if you support, financially support a younger widow, then these are the things that they may learn to do. They may learn to be idle. Idle here is a negative thing in Paul's thoughts. It's okay to have some idle time, uh, but not so much that, have you ever heard the, the saying that idle hands are the devil's workshop? There can be some truth in that. That's not necessarily true. I mean, those we do need some downtime at times, right? Uh, and we need some vacations, and, and I believe that, and I support people doing that. Just, you know, just don't do it the whole summer long and not come to church, right? <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. They may learn to be idle, wandering from house to house. Uh, and if they're wandering from house to house, then they might have the opportunity to be gossiping and busybodies. He's saying this about widows. I mean, those men could do the same thing, right? Men could, could have the same thing happening. So he's saying it'd be better off. Now, I, can I tell you, this wouldn't be real popular today uh, with women's rights. But he's saying it'd be better off if women marry and marry, bear children and take care of the family. What Paul is saying. He's not modern day, but how many knows that that's all right, right? To live in that lifestyle and take care of your family, to not have too much idle time. I think sometimes the, uh, it, it is easy to get into sin if we have too much idle time on our hands. And then the final thing that he says about the younger widows, remember this is younger widows, not older widows, who truly are in need. I mean, they have a real need. The other thing that Paul's saying is that it is the family's responsibility. He says, if a believing man or woman has widows, in other words, if as a, as a man or a woman, a married family, uh, if they have a, a mom or a dad who is widowed and who can't support themselves financially, then it should be the family, first of all. Then if there's a shortfall from that, I believe it's okay for the church to help out. So it's a support from the home so that the church is then able to support those who are really destitute. And the reason for that is, and how many know is that churches don't have an endless supply of money. Whenever the situation arises to help someone, you want to make sure that you're supporting those who need it the most. So that's important. Then Paul begins to move, and we're going to read verses 17 and 18 in chapter 5 of 1 Timothy. Uh, then Paul begins to talk about, well, now we've talked about how you treat older men, how you treat older women, how you treat older widows and older and younger widows. And now he's going into the leadership of the church, talking about the elders. 
Elders does not necessarily mean old. An elder, the, the word is, uh, can be used to represent a deacon or uh, a true elder who is more of a pastoral or at least a helper of a pastor. Uh, this is a, a leader in the church. So let's look at what he says about how we're to honor them according to the scripture. So it says, let the elders who rule, who rule well, be counted worthy of double honor. If you write in your Bible, you might want to underline that double honor. Especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. How many of y'all have heard that? I've heard it. The laborer is worthy of his wages. So the word elder there uh, is to be under, understood in the broad sense as leadership in the church. Uh, it's leadership in the church. The focus is on those who rule and those who teach. Now, a person could be an elder in a church and not be a teacher, or they could be an elder in the church and a teacher. We have some of those here, right? We have some folks who uh, would be considered elders and who are teachers and who help in those kinds of roles. So it says of an elder, if they are doing a good job and they're teaching doctrine and scripture proficiently and doing well at that, then they're worthy of double honor. What does he mean by that? Double honor. Because he said, you're to honor the men, you're to honor the women, you're to honor the uh, widows and the orphans and help them, but what does it mean by double honor? Uh, and that principle is, is, certainly, is, is certainly true. Double honor, in particular, uh, speaks of financial support here. Uh, just like the word honor for the widow and the elderly who had a true need, it means financial support. Now, some people, some denominations, some churches don't believe in elders being financially supported. So an elder can be a pastor, but that's just as had to be a pastor, right? An elder can be another minister in the church who is fulfilling a role there in ministry. And so it's saying that they're worthy of double honor. It doesn't say you have to pay every one of them, but it says they're worthy uh, of double honor. They should be counted or uh, to be worthy as long as they are laboring in the word and in doctrine. Can I tell you, when you study scripture, and you teach scripture, and you preach scripture, if you do it right, it's work. Right? How many have ever studied to teach a lesson, or studied uh, to preach, or to do those kinds of things? It's, it's work. Isn't it, Terry? Isn't it, Donald? Right? Uh, it is, uh, it's work. It is, you know, you're digging in, you're praying, you're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit for how to speak, and how to uh, minister to the congregation and so it, it's work and that's what Paul is saying here to Timothy he's saying uh, support and help those who are doing that who are a help in the church and that they're worthy of 
It's not against the Bible to pay a minister. Uh, the scripture says, and he gave, Paul gave those examples of making sure that the ox who's treaded out uh, the grain gets to feed as well, right? And also that a person who is working, that they should get paid as well, right? Imagine if you went uh, to the factory to work and they said, oh, we're not going to pay you. We're not going to honor you with pay. Uh, what would happen, right? <laughs> they wouldn't have too many employees after a while, right? Paul was explaining to them that if you sow into someone's life spiritually, then the person who gains from that should support and help. It doesn't, he doesn't say how much or, or how to give specifically here, uh, although we do know there's guidance with that in the Bible about tithing and offering and those kinds of things. Uh, but he's saying that we should do that. 1 Corinthians 9-11, I should say, talks about laboring in the word and in doctrine that it's appropriate for us to for those who are doing that to reap material blessings uh, for doing spiritual work. All of this, remember, is for young Timothy, who was a new pastor. It's also laying groundwork for how churches should operate, not just then, but now. Galatians 6, 6, Paul says, let him who is taught the word share in all the good things with him who teaches. And so those are uh, some principles there uh, of how to treat and how to support the elders, which is not just pastors. It can be other ministries in the church. And uh, I mean, just like our church, we have, I'm a senior pastor, but we have a uh, children's pastor. We have a youth pastor. We have uh, various other ministries in the church. Some are paid, some are not. Uh, some are volunteer positions. So we, we do have that understanding of, of, of those roles in, in this church. All right, let's read verses 19 through 20. So again, the word double honor means to financially support. Now, Paul's saying, what do you do with a leader who's been accused of sin? And that's kind of the question. How do you treat them? How do you talk to them? How do you uh, make sure that they're being treated fairly, but also uh, that sin isn't just skirted around and the elder or the leader isn't just getting off scot-free because he's an elder or a leader? Uh, and so it says, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. And that's important. There needs to be some evidence uh, that something has happened. Notice he doesn't say uh, that you heard gossip about it, but that you were a witness to what happened. So that it needs to, we need to make sure that uh, that is the case, uh, that there is an actual witness and not just hearsay. Oh, I heard this, and this other person said this, and so... I believe this, uh, but it's saying don't receive an accusation against an elder except for two or three witnesses. And then once that it has been established that this particular leader is in sin, it says those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all. 
that the rest also may feed. I'm reading from the New King James Version, so if you're in King James or another version, they speak a little bit uh, differently, but it's, it's saying the same thing. Notice this is different than how it's said to talk to an elder, not an elder as in leadership, but an older man. So don't rebuke him in front of people. But here, if they're a leader, there's a different principle. Because you don't want your leadership following in a path of sin because that's really going to hurt the church. So it's a little bit different. And that was found in those first few verses of chapter 5. And here he's saying, go ahead and rebuke them in the presence of all so that the others, the other leaders, uh, would fear to do that. And to make sure that that your leadership is not in sin and also that it's being approached directly. Let me just say this. If you're going to do this, you better make sure that the witnesses are credible. And you better make sure you fully understand uh, what is going on. I, w I would not do this. I've heard of ministers just calling out people in the congregation during a service. I would not advise that. That's not what this is really saying. What this is saying is that in the presence of the other leaders, not necessarily the whole congregation, right, to confront that so that everybody, all the leadership is on the same page. I think that you could still apply the principle found in another part of Scripture where it says first you go to them directly, then you go to two or three others that don't correct them maybe with a group of congregation. I think that principle could still apply in this situation just dealing with leadership. And if I was going to do it, I'm thankful that I haven't had to do that, then that's the way it would be because I think it's totally inappropriate to do it in a setting where you have not just leaders and those who Maybe young in the faith, not as mature, uh, and it could really hurt them. You know, they may not ever want to come back to church again, saying something like that. In all of these things, Paul's just laying out a framework, okay? In all of these things, I believe you're going to have to be super sensitive to the Holy Spirit and make sure that you're not offending someone if you can keep from it, but yet holding the truth as the truth. Uh, so there's a balance there that I think that you have to have to keep. So he's saying don't receive the accusation unless there's two or three witnesses. So there's a balance here of don't believe everything you hear. How many knows that sometimes leadership gets talked about just because sometimes people are jealous or mad at them for some reason or whatever. Paul said, hey, don't believe every accusation. Don't, don't take that lightly. Don't, don't go scold them and, and uh, rebuke them in front of everybody if you don't know the reality. Uh, so that's important. And there's this balance of, I want to say the legal of it, but also the mercy of it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, of having mercy, but also uh, trying to keep order. I mean, the church needs to have order. Uh, it can't be everything loosey-goosey, and especially in leadership. That's some good Greek there. Wasn't Greek and, and Hebrew, loosey-goosey? 
Uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so there does have to be structure. There's a wonderful book, actually I've taught it before, not here at the church, but uh, in uh, a district leadership on uh, decently, it's a, a book called Decently and in Order. That is the way God works, right? And hopefully the way that the church will operate as well. So if you're to operate on either extreme of those, in other words, you take every accusation as if it's the truth, that's wrong. Or if you never react to sin in leadership, then that's wrong too. So you have to make sure that you're not extreme in either one. Rebuke those in public uh, so that other people know that they, they have to be accountable for what they have done. All right, let's read verse 21. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, do not, doing nothing without partiality. What's Paul telling Timothy? This is extremely important. In other words, I'm charging you. That's what he says. That is a military term. It means like a soldier, here's your command, here's your charge, make sure you treat this like it's very important. You're to be accountable before God, before Jesus, and even before the elect angels. Paul is saying, Timothy, this is very important. Don't forget this. And make sure that you observe the things that we talk about. And don't do it with partiality or prejudice. I would be as bold to say that partiality and prejudice is sin. Uh, we're not to operate in that manner. God doesn't operate in that manner. I'm so thankful, aren't you? <laughs> uh, that God's not partial. That God uh, is not prejudiced. That God uh, receives us, whether we're Jew, Gentile, Greek, slave, male, female. He receives us. Uh, and so we are to be not partial or prejudiced in the way that we judge. And it can be easy to do that. If we're not careful. He's saying the seriousness of doing this uh, the correct way, observing without prejudice and without partiality. So here he said, this is the way you treat elders, and those are leaders in the church. Now how do you treat potential leaders in the church? And I, I think this is very important as well. Sometimes we use this verse in a joking manner, uh, but it says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. Now, sometimes we joke as if, you know, we're going to lay hands on them, we're going to grab them and shake them or something, but that's not what that verse is really about. It says, don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. So remember a, a, a week or so ago when we talked about Paul said, Timothy, remember your calling before God. And that that calling was done through the laying on of my hands on you. And so there was a, an ordin almost like an ordination style of committing Timothy to the Lord and his call to the Lord. Uh, so what is this saying? If that is talking about ordination, 
What is it saying then about potential leaders? Don't lay hands on them suddenly. What would that mean? Don't put them in a position of leadership hastily. Don't not think about it. Don't judge them. Don't wait until they've proven themselves. You need to make sure that you have done all those things. That you have judged them. Make sure that you understand who they really are and do they truly have a definitive call of God on their life uh, before you ordain them. If you put someone in leadership before they're ready, it's not just bad for them, but it's bad for the church. So I, I think the caution is for both. Because there's nothing worse than putting somebody in a position of leadership when they're not ready. And they don't have experience. They haven't developed as a leader. To never tell someone that I feel like God's called you to do X. Okay? I think that needs to be that person that God deals with. Now, do I believe that everybody has a call in their life? It may not be to ministry as far as preaching or teaching, but God's got something for you to do. And that's between you and God to decide what that really is and what that looks like. While I can say God's called all of us, and I believe that can be biblically supported, I try not to say God's called you to do X, Y, Z. Most of the time, people will come to that if they're really studying, pressing in, praying, trying to get to the heart of what God wants them to do. They'll eventually get there. And it could be that God's still developing them uh, when I was first came into leadership in this church, I was a deacon on the board at age 22. Wow. Probably a little young, but we didn't have a lot of men. And so I developed in leadership within the church. I wasn't ready to pastor and certainly not to preach and to teach and do all those kinds of things, but I developed as I pressed into God and, and I uh, let other people feed into my life as well, right? Those spiritual mentors that we've been kind of talking about as well. Uh, so that's important. Bill, I do think that, you know, sometimes people get put into positions of leadership, number one, because the church seems to never have enough volunteers and leaders, right, in certain areas. So sometimes they can be tempting as a pastor or leader of the church uh, to say, how we need you, come on. And they might not be ready. And so if we're not to ordain, we're not to sanction their leadership uh, right off if they have not proven themselves uh, and to be a, a person that is seasoned. Seasoned doesn't necessarily mean age. I've seen some young people who are just on fire for God, had a definite calling, we're just doing a great work for the Lord. And then I've seen some older people seem like they never did anything. In the middle and in between, right? All those uh, things. So uh, the season as a, in, in ministry. Don't ordain them. Make sure that their gifts and their callings are demonstrated before putting them into leadership. Keep yourself pure, he says. Timothy, or leaders in the church, if you're 
choosing leaders and you're installing leaders and you're and you're learning how to treat people, then you better make sure that you yourself are pure. That's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, don't be just looking at everybody else and trying to make everybody else line up and install leadership and all that, and you've got problems and, and uh, impurity in your own life. So he's saying you need to make sure that uh, you keep your, sin, your own self and uh, your sins in check. Don't join in or partake in others' sins. How can you partake in somebody else's sin? Condoning it? Agreeing with it? Joining in with it? <laughs> yeah. Think lightly about that sometimes. But how many knows when it's a friend, it's easy to do. I would even say it's extremely easy to jump on the negativity bandwagon. Use a prayer request time as a way to gossip, or <laughs> you know, uh, or join in on the gossiping, or whatever. We kind of look at that kind of lightly, but he's saying you, you've got to guard yourself from sin, keep yourself pure, and be cautious that you're not easily swayed into someone else's issues and problems and sin. Verse twenty-three. Paul's going to give Timothy some medical advice here. Now, this doesn't, to us, it's kind of like, Ooh, what kind of medical advice is this? But you have to know what's going on here uh, to understand it. He says, Paul says, Timothy, no longer drink only water. If you underline your Bible, I would underline the word only. Because there's reason. But use a little wine for your stomach's sake. And your frequent infirmities. Now, why would Paul tell Timothy? Notice he didn't say drink a whole bunch of wine. He didn't say go get out, go out, and just tie one on and get drunk. But he said, don't just drink water. Drink some wine. Why? Now, why would Timothy? I don't. I don't think Timothy's dumb. I think Timothy's trying to be. What Paul just said to do, be pure, be holy. But Paul said, you've got to have a balance here. I understand what you're saying, but don't cause yourself to be sick in order to be so rigid in following these things. See, don't, don't be so rigid, so drink some water. But drink some wine too. Uh, I mean, the doctors would tell you that wine's great for your blood pressure. Uh, a little bit of wine is great for uh, diabetes. A little bit of wine is great for heart issues. All kinds of different things. Not a bunch. I don't. I don't drink any, but I don't have any of those things I just said either. So, but I know people who are good Christians who will occasionally have. Uh, a glass or a little bit, maybe not even a full glass, a little bit of wine, a little bit of uh, something, especially if the doctor, I actually know people who the doctor told them to do that. Uh, and so, uh, you know, you have to be sensible uh, and not, I'm going to say so legalistic in this, that you hurt yourself. The actual, the fermentation process Kills a lot of germs, 
in your body. So he's not talking about unfermented wine here either. He's talking about fermented wine. The real thing. Because the other's just grape juice, and that's not that great for you. It's loaded with sugar. Uh, it'll get make you get fat. Uh, it's not as it's not good for your heart. It, you know, all those kind of things. But fermented wine. Real. Don't go out of here and say, Pastor said I could drink all the wine I wanted to. That is not what Pastor said. <laughs> Pastor said, if you have medical issues and you need to, and the doctor has prescribed it, then be sensible. Now, we have to know our culture. You're, even if I was told to drink a little wine for my stomach's sake or for whatever reason, you're not going to catch me in line at the liquor store. Now, I'm going to get it to my house somehow and have a small amount, but I'm not going to get drunk on it, and I'm not going to, you know. So you have to be, what am I saying? Be sensible. Don't hurt your body in order to have this holiness that is beyond reason. Oh, yeah. yeah. You, you don't want to be a stumbling block. And, and, you, and you have to be sensible about it. And I'm okay if you never drink any, or if you do sometimes have an occasional uh, a drink of it for medicinal purposes, recreational, and then that sometimes leads into other types of things. So uh, you just have to be sensible about it. Take care of your body. If you don't take care of your body, nobody else is going to. He could have said here, make sure you get some exercise. I think that's important too. You know, appropriately, appropriately, I need to lose a little weight. I do go to the gym about three times a week. So, you know, I walk, I do a lot of things. So I'm trying to stay as healthy as I can, uh, especially given, wow, I've had all kinds of medical procedures in the past few months. But I'm still going, right? You could put a lot of things in this passage as far as being uh, trying to keep yourself at least healthy enough to go and do some things for the Lord. I think that's important. And here Paul says, because you have frequent infirmities. I think Timothy had a whole lot of intestinal issues. I don't know what those were, but I think he had a lot of them. Because Paul says, they're frequent. So it wasn't just he occasionally felt a little bad. It was that he was frequently sick. So the intensity of this. He said, Timothy, don't, don't just drink water. Do yourself a favor and have a little bit so that your, your intestinal system works well. All right, let's read verses 24-25. Before I do that, how many knows that God uses natural remedies and healing as well as just doctrine? I think, you know, sometimes we jump to going to the doctor and taking all kinds of medicine, and, I, uh, and sometimes the remedy might be in the foods that we eat and the, the, the things that we can take in naturally to help us. But I do know that if I eat too many sweets, that not only do I gain weight, but I have stomach problems. Acid reflux. Inflammation. Inflammation. I'm groggy. I'm 
you know, all those things and, and, and just generally don't feel good. I sure love them, but you know, they're not as good to me as, uh, as some other, other foods. So verse 24, 25, we'll wrap it up here. Paul had just told Timothy, well, he just told him about his doing something for his health sake. But prior to that, he had talked about don't sin and don't get involved in other people's sin. And now he's going to say, you have to be careful in how you judge other people because sometimes sins are very evident and sometimes they're hidden. Okay? And that's what he's saying here. He said, some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. In other words, you can just look at it and you can tell what they're doing. It's a sin. But those of some men follow later. So some sins you find out about later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. And he's talking about, you know, we've got to be discerners of people's works and people's sins. Sometimes what you see on the outside isn't all, their, all the story. Who knows discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift of discernment. It's a gift. Most of the time we talk about discernment as far as, well, that's good or that's evil. That's, that's appropriate. But I think we can also discern people's hearts and their intents. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever seen that happen? Like, but the Holy Spirit just kind of jolted you or shook you uh, when you saw someone and you just like knew there's not something not quite right about that person's spirit. They look and appear that they're this way, but the Holy Spirit's kind of checking you. And then, and you don't, I mean, you, know, you can't act on that. You're not going to go up and say something that's not right with you. But as you watch them, eventually, come out. So there is discernment with the spirit that's in people as well as spiritual discerning of is this evil, is this good, is this of God, is, is this of Satan. And so uh, and we don't talk a lot about the, uh, the gift of discernment. You want to make sure that you have an accurate picture uh, and that you wait on God for the discernment that you need. And especially if you're in leadership and you want to incorporate somebody into that ministry that you're in, you better pray for the gift of discernment to, to say, this would be the right person or this might not be the right person. Okay, so let's look at these questions. Let's start off with question one. Name three reasons Paul said you should not support the younger widows. Number one, they might be able to provide for themselves or be married. Number two, they may be so desirous that their conduct would uh, not be conducive to leadership, okay, and to being supported. Number three, because of so much idle time, and if they're being supported, they don't have to work, they may the idol and gossipers of this Question two, you want to fill in the blank? The what responsibility? 
first responsibility for supporting a widow is that where? Family or the home? The local what? The local churches is to support the widow who is truly destitute and in need is good, uh, but also, and we didn't really talk about that tonight, but also that they're godly. In other words, you don't want to support a widow that is truly in need, but yet you know if you give them money, they're going to use it for ungodly things. So what does the phrase double honor mean in this context? Financially support. Question four. When you receive an accusation, when would you receive an accusation against an elder? Only if there's two or three witnesses. Question five. How do you confront an elder who is sinning? Uh, rebuke them in the presence of all. Question six. Observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with Partiality. What does not, do not lay hands on anyone hastily mean? Don't promote, don't approve of someone in ministry in a rush or too hastily, quick. Question eight. What medical advice did Paul give Timothy? Live a lie for your stomach's sake. 